you're on a team, but your team is not really your team until your team is selected. So um, everybody's your competitor at the same time as they're your teammate. You know, you're constantly fighting for your seat all the time. Excellence is about standing, and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. On today's show, we're joined by Lisa Roman, 2020 Olympic gold medalist in rowing in the women's eight. At the moment of the recording, Lisa was taking a break away from rowing, thinking about her career and what to do next. We talk about rowing, naturally, but most importantly, we discuss mental health and how it can be hard on the athletes to get from the adrenaline and motivation high leading to the Olympics to the post-Olympic syndrome. I'm currently not training anymore. I'm just training freely at the moment. I am not actually on the team anymore, but I have not officially retired. I'm not like officially training, training anymore. I'm having, taking like a little bit of a step back this year. So I haven't decided if I'm going to go back or not, but this year I am currently not full-time training. Okay. Okay. Is this something that you've kind of announced or that you did in the, in the background, uh, just uh, uh, taking a step back on, on your career? Um, yeah. So like the team knows that's uh, the choice I've taken, but I guess like publicly it hasn't been announced that that's what I'm doing. Um, but I haven't been on the circuit. Like I haven't, uh, I didn't race last year and I haven't competed this year. So um, I feel like it's pretty well known, but um, yeah, I'm undecided what the future holds at this point. Okay. So I guess we, we dug right into it. Is there, was it kind of a burnout or a sports burnout uh, following the Olympics or you know, high level competition? Um, I don't think it was a, I per se a burnout. I think I'm just at the point in my life where I need to make some changes in regards to what I want. And, um, I've been in the sport for over 10 years. Um, I'm getting older and <laughs> I'm in a committed relationship that I need to take care of as well. So, um, mm -hmm. my priorities are to, you know, be with my partner and see how that goes. And then if that leads me back to rowing then it does and if it doesn't then that's okay too great awesome so maybe we can uh talk more about this a, a bit later um one question i like to to start things off uh that are not as deep as uh taking a step back on sport is uh what's your first memory uh rowing um so i first started rowing in uh fort langley in the fraser valley Um, I didn't really know anything about the sport in particular. Um, I recall I was a figure skater before I started rowing. So I spent a lot of time not using my upper body or my arms, but I can remember like one of my first memories of like getting in about being in a single and on my own, um, just being absolutely like so sore in my upper body and my arms just because I used to only figure skate. So I had really strong legs, but I had no upper body strength. Uh, that's probably one of the funny things that I re recall from when I first started. Awesome. So how old were you uh, when you discovered uh, uh, rowing? 
Uh, so I started in university. I was 17 the first time I tried rowing and I did it very casually my first year and then kind of got into it a little bit deeper in my second year. And then I ended up transferring out to the state on a scholarship. Um, and yeah. Okay, so I, I read you, uh, quote, had been a competitive figure skater for 14 years and a dancer for eight years. So that adds up to 23 years. <laughs> I guess you were practicing many sports uh, in parallel, I guess, at the same time as you were uh, studying. Yeah, so I skated and danced kind of at the same time. Uh, but I figure skated from a very, very young age. Um, at one point I was like skating, dancing and had just started rowing. And then I was like, okay, this is way too much. I need to figure out what I want to do. Um, and so I kind of let skating go to the wayside because I wasn't really making any like improvements. I had just gone like non-competitive stream. Um, and I kind of was like finding success quite quickly in rowing. So I, um, decided to kind of put my heart and soul into that. Okay, and at, at which point did it become, I would say, your main occupation? You were probably, I uh, assume you were studying also in parallel. So at which point was there that switch of, hey, I'm doing this full-time, or at least it's becoming my main uh, occupation? Um, so I wasn't full-time rowing till... So after I graduated from school, I rode on a university team all through school and on a scholarship in the States. And then when I left school... It was actually um, 2012, so it was the year of the 2012 Olympics. So at that time, um, 2012 happened, the girls did really well, and there was kind of like a opening for like people to kind of come back on the team for the next quadrennial. And so I knew that I had the possibility of making the team due to the fact that I had done under 23s in 2011. Um, so I kind of told myself when I graduated, like, okay, let's, you know, like, let's dive in, let's like go super hard training and see where I like end up in regards to like the national championships, which is what we host, like Canada hosts that every year. And that's kind of a, a deciding factor of like being invited to the team. So I left school, started training full time and I gave myself, I think it was like six and a half months. And I like trained really, really hard for six and a half months and then competed at the championships and ended up being third and ended up beating some of the girls that were already on the team. So then that's how I was able to get, uh, like, I got asked to join, come and join the training center. So, okay. Where's the, is there a, a Canadian training center for rowing? Yeah, so there it used to be for women. It used to be in London, Ontario. So I moved to London, Ontario from BC. Um, and then I they moved it just in 20, I guess like 2019. They moved the training center from London um, over to Victoria. And then just recently moved the training center from like uh, Elk Lake to Palmerton Lake. So it's like, um, I guess like northern the North Island or middle of the island is called Couch and Bay area. So that's where the national team is now. Okay. And uh, so we're in Canada. <laughs> we have eight month winters here in Montreal, but even in Victoria, you have a few months where it's pretty cool. So does the, the, the national team moves move, sorry, uh, in the U S or somewhere else during the, the winter season, or do you have other ways of training or is it like a pause on the rowing side and more on the, uh, you know, body work size? Side, sorry um so typically we would do winter training camps uh throughout the winter but in bc we do have somewhat of a luxury that we can pretty much train all year round if we want to there are definitely some days we can't but um 
for the most part, we can train pretty much all year round. So we do train all year round. Um, but yeah, they'll typically do like a warm weather training camp at some point during the winter time. So, but with COVID and everything that had happened in the last couple of years, we didn't really do much of that. We did a lot of just staying and training in BC. Okay. Um, just to, for the listeners to have a bit more context and knowledge, I mean, we know what rowing is, uh, but what are the rules and the different categories that you have? So uh, you're an Olympian and a medalist in the uh, Coast 8, if I pronounce it well. Uh, but what are the different categories that you can compete in? And do you start right away in a boat of eight people or do you start on like solo so that you can prove how good you are before joining your know, bigger teams and, and uh, in the, at the national or international level? Yeah, so there's two types of rowing. There's sculling and then there's sweeping. So sculling is with two R's, sweeping's with one. Um, in sculling events, there's uh, singles, doubles, quads. And then um, in sweeping events, there's pairs, which is two people, fours, and eights. Um, so typically when we're training, I've mostly competed in the eight my whole career. I did compete in a four for a couple of like uh, World Cup events. Uh, but for the most part, I've been in the women's eight. So I was only a sweeper, which basically means I only sweep on one side. I only sweep to starboard. Um, and when we're training, we train in all different boats. So we're training pairs, quads, sometimes singles, like all sorts of boats. But then when we get close to competition, then we start to like solidify into like our actual boat that we want to compete in. So it's called like we go through rounds of seat racing to like basically make the team. So um we have a team of a bunch of athletes and then every year you have to be selected to actually race at the events for the year so you have to be selected into one of those boats to race um there's also lightweight division and heavyweight so lightweight there's lightweight women lightweight men um and they have i think they only have yeah only have a lightweight double was the only like olympic event that they have but at other events they have multiple I think the single, double, and a couple different events. And so, and the men are kind of the same as the women in regards to the events that they have. Okay. And uh, the right. last technical question, I would say, um, I read, so you were, oh, sorry, it cut a bit. Or you're back. Um, so I read that you were on the bow or bow seat of the women's mm -hmm. eight. So what, what exactly is that, the bow seat? Yeah, so the bow seat is just, if you're watching a race, bow seat would be the first person that crosses the finish line. So I'm basically at the back of the boat, but technically the front of the boat, if that makes sense. Okay, that, that does make sense, but at least it, 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 uh, it textualized the, the whole stuff. Because, I mean, listeners are sports people and fans, but they don't necessarily have the whole vocabulary. So at least yeah. we, uh, we know it and we'll learn a bit uh, something during that uh, that podcast in the, the rowing uh sports so um and i also read that you it said that you were standing under six feet tall and it was a, um, a challenge to uh, overcome the fact that you was you were sorry relatively small or short to be a roarer you need to be tall to uh, to be a roarer and i mean there aren't 90 of women that are taller than, than uh, six feet so uh, yeah is that like a requirement or does, does it bring you an advantage if you're uh, if you're taller as a roarer Um, I would say it's definitely helpful if you're taller uh, you have longer limbs, you have more, you know, you have bigger, you can create bigger arcs. And uh, so it's it's all about your limbs and how long you can row. However, yes, I am. I'm 5'11". Um, 
And I would consider myself to be one of the shorter girls on the team. We do have people that are shorter than me that have been very successful. Um, however, uh, yeah, like I think you can be small or big, but you definitely have an advantage if you have those longer limbs for sure. Okay. Um, cool. So going back to, uh, when you were, you know, I would say climbing the ladder in the, the rowing world, uh, was your family into sport or were you kind of the first person in your family to be able to reach high level, uh, Um, competitions and if you were the first what kind of how was your uh, who was surrounding you in order to uh, to keep pushing you know uh, keep pushing you and and get to international and olympic levels yeah so i mean i've always been my mom's been my coach she was my coach for figure skating for over 17 years so i was always coached by my mom um i haven't had any other family members that have made it to the level that i've made it to Um, but I would say that I just have a hardworking family in general. And, uh, my brothers all, I have two older brothers, twin brothers. Um, they always played sports. Um, my brother was offered an opportunity to play high level soccer, but just didn't, wasn't ready to kind of make that step for him. So, but other than that, uh, yeah, I'm the only one. And I'd say they were always supporting me in, in every way possible that they could. Um, but it was never like pushed upon me to do it i kind of made that choice on my own okay and and was there a moment when you realized that it had to become your your main occupation and that you had the 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 capability to well at some point at, at the end get uh, get a gold medal was there a specific moment in time that you can pinpoint and say hey that when it happened that's really that day there was the shift like you know in your head and uh, and you were ready to uh, to tackle this Yeah, so I competed as an under 23 in 2011 um and we won a gold medal as a so I won as like a kind of a, a we call it under 23 but it's like the level below senior. Um and I think that that really made me kind of like feel something that I had never felt before in regards to success and being a part of a team. Um and I think at that point I was like pretty I was pretty like set on like trying to go to the Olympics. Um, I think like I knew there was a good group of girls that all competed. Um, I knew all those girls were kind of moving forward as well. Um, so I think there was like 10 of us that all had competed that were still like continuing to train. And so I, uh, it was kind of like a cool team atmosphere that we had. Um, and at the Olympics, I think there was, There was four of us that competed at the Olympics that were in that boat in 2011. So I thought like these people I've known for well over 10 years and we just kind of continued on that journey together. So um, I think it was a lot of to do with that team camaraderie that we had kind of created. Okay, so, so the Olympics really are, I would say, the the top goal that you can achieve. And as you mentioned, there there is... A team it's really a team sport and the fact that you were surrounded by the same people that were your colleagues and that you were competing with uh, really helped i guess uh shape mm -hmm. the person you became and became right mm -hmm. definitely yeah amazing and so how do you um yeah what does it take to be a good rower you mentioned like the, the taller you are the the not the easier but the most chances you have to succeed uh but what really does it take uh no uh 
on the 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 body size uh, body side sorry uh, you know is it upper body uh, do you also use a lot your your uh, lower body what what really makes a rower a great rower yeah so i think uh it probably is a full body sport you use your legs you use your arms you use your back you use pretty much every ounce of your body that you can um and i think a lot of it comes down to mindset so it's It's about how hard you want to push to make the gains that you need to make. And it's definitely an uphill battle sport for sure. Um, you have highs and lows um, and you'll go through a portion of time. Where you have really great training and then you have not so good training. And I think that's normal for everybody in any sport. Um, but yeah, rowing is very much like a tough sport. It's a it's a mental mental battle. You're just like you're. You know, you're grinding it out every single day. You're you're on a team, but your team is not really your team until your team is selected. Mm -hmm. So um, everybody's your competitor at the same time as they're your teammates. So, you know, you're constantly fighting for your seat all the time. But at the same time, once your crew's selected, it's like you have to become the best team possible uh, for that crew. So, um, yeah. Cool. And so you mentioned it's a full body uh, sport in a way, but apart from rowing, what does it take? Do you spend a lot of time at the gym? Um, how important is your also your lifestyle, you know, like sleep, uh, diet, uh, just other activities? You, you know, run, bike to uh, uh, train other part of your body that you don't necessarily use in the boat itself, but that, you know, make you a better athlete. Yeah, for sure. So we definitely do weightlifting. Uh, do more weightlifting throughout the winter to help build muscle. Then you kind of have to switch to like a fast twitch as we get into that like racy type time of year. Um, rest and rest is obviously crucial. You're training a lot. I mean, I'd say like on an average, you're training anywhere from like four to six hours on a day some days. So uh, rest and recovery is huge. Um, you know, stretching, trying to stay limber is also a big one, trying to stay injury free as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it's a grind sport for sure, but, um, there's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun to go fast and be in a good boat. So that's kind of what I always like fed off of. And I really enjoyed, you know, being surrounded by my teammates and, um, I really enjoy the like training aspect of rowing. Okay, so and how big is your crew, or what is your crew? You know, as a, or training crew or surrounding crew. Uh, do you have like a personal coach? You have mental coach. You have a nutritionist, and you have like a team coach. Also, how does it work, and what's kind of the 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 atmosphere and the surroundings uh, as you as you train? You know, every day. Yeah, so we have yeah we have like personal coaches. Well, not personal. Sorry, we have like our coaches that coach our team and then we've got like high performance directors that are usually typically around a lot uh we have mental performance coaches if we need them we have dietitians if we need them uh we basically have all the resources you need uh physio um yeah i mean everything you need to be successful is there if you need it um yeah and so you mentioned so that's quite a lot of people right uh for i would say no four or eight rowers, probably uh, four to 10 people, I guess, surrounding your team. Um, is rowing considered or can be considered a professional sport uh, or not? 
Um, I don't think it's like technically considered a professional sport, but I feel like when you're at that national team level, like you're at the highest level you can get when you're training like yeah. on a national team. So yeah, I would so good, consider good like are. we were yeah. Sorry, go ahead. We were professionals at our at you know at rowing for our level. So mm -hmm. yeah. So it, the, the the reason for the question is, at the Olympics we see whatever hockey players, we see soccer players. They, I mean, they are paid quite a lot <laughs> for uh, for to their sport. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have sports that are under um, under. I mean, not famous in a way, and mm -hmm. people have side so that they can live and keep uh, keep uh, you know paying the bills and. Uh, practicing their, their sport. Um, so how is it for you? Do you have like representation fees? Do you have like sponsors? And can you live off the sport uh, without having to have you know a side job to again, pay the bills or you know, make ends meet? Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot of differences on the team. Like I did have a side job. Um, like me and my husband own a house. I, you know, like we have bills to pay. So Um, I did have a side job that I would work around my schedule as best as possible. I didn't work a lot. I would only work when I could work. Um, and that was a very flexible schedule that worked for me. Um, but there are many athletes that just live on the amount of money, which is basically a Canada funded amount. Um, so if you're at a national team level at a certain particular level, you'll get paid by the Canadian government by only a certain amount. Um, it is not a lot of money. <laughs> It's not enough to live mm. off of. Uh, most athletes are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, you know, the organization does what it can to get a little bit of sponsorship to help. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen like there's always different or, or different things that are going on. It's like fuel the athlete. And those are all um, sponsorships that basically help support the athletes to give them grocery cards or just like those necessary needs for them. Because, yeah, it's It's very expensive to feed yourself, but then also pay rent and all those other mm -hmm. extra things. Um, but yeah, I did. I did work a part time job leading into the Olympics. I didn't my first quadrennial, but my, I did my second. Um, but I also used that as like a resource to kind of get away from the sport for my own mental health as well. So I think it was very beneficial to feel like I could take a step away from my sport and do something that I felt like was helping me in my life moving forward. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because that was my next question: is having that side job or you know, job to pay the bills? If it was more, if you felt it was more getting you more tired, or it took time away from rowing, or if on the opposite side, as you mentioned, it kind of allowed you to think of something different and do something different, which probably also helps on your uh, on the mental side, <laughs> on the the mental health health. Sorry. So um, yeah, I guess you answered the question already. It it really helped yeah. you. Uh, back and and not thinking too much or constantly about rowing right yeah yeah it was it was nice to kind of get me out of that environment for a portion of time and not just focus on rowing so i i really benefited from it um but i can see how some athletes would find it just like too tiring to fit into their schedule because it is such a mm -hmm. uh you know like difficult schedule but i think as a veteran athlete on the team i've been around for a long time um my body could handle it a little bit like handle the training, but then also handle doing the work um, on top of the training. Okay. And, and that's, again, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is when you watch the Olympics, that's 
probably the only time, you know, every four years that whoever can see pretty much every single sport and be interested in it. And after that, I'm sure you have like peaks of people wanting to start any type of sports. Um, but I don't think a lot of people realize that many, many athletes that you see at the Olympics that are the best in their sports are either amateur or that they have to, you know, go back to a job and, and work, you know, two shifts, one uh, to become the best in their discipline and the other one to make ends meet. And that's something I think is not really um, said or mentioned and that not necessarily lots of people mm -hmm. are aware of. And it's probably blocking, um, well, like you said, like fundings and, and, um, and helping athletes uh, focusing on their sports instead of, you know, spending time on, on uh, other tasks. So maybe some people like you are okay and are want to have that side uh, activity but i'm sure um others would benefit from having a bit more visibility on the fact that you know if they were to focus more or having only this in mind for whatever four five ten years they could reach much higher or much better results and and you know get more medals and get more records and stuff like that so yeah i mean that's not something that i think can be resolved here but there is a lot of uh i would say of unknown and and uh, topics that are not necessarily um, clear and that people are not necessarily i think are not talking enough about um so yeah it's uh it's pretty crazy to see that you said you were four or five hours a day training and that next to this you have to to keep grinding it out on something different it's uh yeah it's just uh it's just crazy to, um when you you realize that so it gives it gives me even more um yeah more uh, respect for for you and and uh, athletes that are uh, you know at the top level and making our country shine uh, when uh, and, and that mm -hmm. are not necessarily support the way I think they should be uh, supported so uh, yeah uh, it's not a question yeah. here it's just a remark but it's uh, yeah it's a big congratulation from me which doesn't mean much but it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see see people like you thank you I appreciate that I uh, yeah that was yeah like way. I think I think there's always uh, going to be a need for more funding, uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to come by. Um, you know, I think the athletes are just doing the best they can in, in the situation they're in. Um, and same with the organizations, you know, I, I think that hopefully you'll see more of those things coming up where, you know, people can donate. Um, and my dad has been somewhat successful for them lately. Um, people like giving donations for funding for fuel for fueling athletes and stuff. So um, I hope that in years to come there'll be more of that to help them. And it seems to I, I saw Aaron Brown recently is a um, track and field athlete on the 100 and 200 meters. He was uh, asking a question like how much an athlete worth or in that case a track and field athlete worth and even the athletes themselves were not. Um, equipped with anything to answer that so when whoever whichever sponsor comes to them they they have no idea what they are worth and how much they can ask for mm -hmm. whether it's a ship or anything and um, yeah I don't, I don't know if it's a, a topic that i don't know censored in a way or um or if it's never been you know tackled uh but it's, it's pretty interesting and i think some athletes are pushing hard on you know like social media and their presence online their image more than the sport itself so that they can, once they say, hey, I have a following of X thousands or millions of uh, followers, then, you know, I can get those sponsorship, I can get those uh, endorsement deals. Um, so is that something that you've 
ever kind of looked at in order to see if if you could make money off of it or did you really focus on the sport itself and kind of let the image side and the social media side on the uh well, on the side yeah so i didn't i was never really like big on the social media aspects of it i um i like i said i enjoyed doing my extra work on the side which gave me enough money to feel comfortable um if I were to go back, is there a possibility I might get more into it? Like maybe, but um, yeah, I mean, some people do use it as a resource to help them for sure. And they've been quite successful at it. So I think it depends on the person, but there's also like hundreds of thousands of athletes that don't have any resources um, and they do lots of social media. So I think it's like, you gotta figure out how to do it properly and know how to do it. <laughs> If you're just kind of like, you know, half doing it, then I just think it's it's going to be harder to actually use it to your benefit. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a, well, that's also a tough question to crack, I think, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's a question worth asking. It's about like you know, money and sport in general, especially in the sport that are a bit less uh, um, shown on TV or in the media. Um, mm -hmm. So if we go back to what you mentioned at the beginning and you touched on it a couple of times about mental health, I think it's, it's becoming more and more central um, in the world of sports. Uh, you know, at some point it was all you know, your body and uh, your diet, sleep and stuff like that. But I think uh, there are more and more athletes you know, coming out and saying that they are going through depression, that they've, you know, they've been struggling with mental health um, issues for, you know, long time and, and still you know uh, practicing their sport on a daily basis um how important do you think that it's right now in the world of sport and how big would it become and do you think that's maybe the thing that will you know once it's figured out but when it, once it's treated better and people talk more about it that could be what brings people to new levels of, uh, of performance in all kinds of sports Yeah, um, I think mental health is super important. Um, our team went through a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, we had to be super resilient. Um, we had a bike accident about 40 days out from the Olympics and one of our athletes, we didn't know if she was going to be back. So we dealt with that. And I think that was like super stressful on the team. And uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, there's lots of highs and lows, you know, people getting cut from the team, people... You know, people getting injured, there's just nothing, those things don't get talked about. Um, for myself personally, um, I don't, like I said, because I had my outlets, I didn't, I don't think I struggled as many, as much as I think other athletes do. Uh, but I think it is truly important for them to have outlets. And I think that sometimes when an athlete is like so busy with training and they're just so exhausted they just get into this like little bubble of just training and then that's what kind of creates that depression because they're just never getting out of it um and i think that that's something that we need to like help them with to make sure they are making steps in the right direction for their life after rowing or their life after whatever sport they're doing and so i think we'll see more of that over the years to come um and i think there'll be more support in that area even now i think there's more support than there was five years ago so Um, you know, game plan thing. It's a great resource for athletes, uh, post Olympics and even during well, like while you're training, they have lots of like different seminars and stuff that you can attend. And so I think there's a bigger push to help make sure that athletes are kind of like not getting into that state, but it does happen. 
Um, and yeah, I think the more we talk about it, the more real it is. Um, and the more that people can relate to it. So. Okay. And you mentioned that a program like post Olympics in a way, is that a frequent thing that, you know, uh, uh, athletes struggle mentally after the Olympics, either because, you know, they reached the top or, you know, it's the big objective that you want to reach. And now it's in the past and you have to work another, you know, three and a half years to get to the next one. Is it a thing? Um, yeah, I would say it's definitely a thing. I think a lot of people struggle post Olympics to kind of figure out like, where do I go from here? Um, and it's everything from maybe they haven't done anything for five, six years in regards to schooling or outside work or anything like that. And all they've done is train. And now they've got to try to figure out, you know, like how to get a paycheck and how to take care of themselves in a different way. And you go from such a scheduled life of you know, like every week you get your schedule for the week and you know what you're supposed to be doing every single day to now you don't have anything. You don't have a schedule. No one's sending you your, you know, daily routine. So um, now you got to figure that all out on your own. And what does that look like? Um, so, yeah, I think there is, I don't think anyone that's gone through the Olympics can say that they had an optimal, perfect transition and everything was perfect. I think there's always going to be some highs and lows coming out of that. Um, part of your life but i think it's all perspective i think there's things i would have done different looking back now if i you know i thought about it there's still things i would have done different but i'm sure everyone could say that it's just kind of a journey you just figure it out as you go okay so maybe so you might be the too big of a change from the moment you know you getting to the olympics where you probably have the craziest schedule you can imagine And then the next day it becomes back to flat days and no more training or you know, change that your also I guess the mindset moves from hey I need to be the best, I need to be the best to hey it's done now. So and the next big thing is in four years from now. So that's not, is it is it the that big change that people just can't adapt to or it's too brutal and that it brings those uh those uh issues and challenges? Sorry, I just I didn't really understand you there. It was a bit muffly. Yeah, I hear us a bit of a oh, background noise. Okay. Yeah, so I was asking, do you think it's it just the rule of a change between, I would say, the six months of the year leading to the Olympics to the next day and the Olympics are done? And yeah, I'm back to a basic life or a boring life or a quiet life that athletes are not And this is too big of a change that should be. I get softened or uh, or uh, prepared ahead of time so that you know, people are not uh, uh, shocked by by how life changes and probably their objectives getting from your hundred to zero the uh, life. Yeah, like I mean, you lose. You don't have any of those resources really once you're done, right? Like you don't have your physio, you don't have your dietitian. You don't. I mean, like I'm sure all those people I could contact at any point, talk to me if I absolutely needed to. But for the most part, like those things kind of fall. Fall, fall away and then now you've got to kind of figure it out and I, I mean even just down to you go from seeing your friends every single day people that you literally spend all of your time with and now I don't see them ever so like that, even that is just so like a dramatic change from what I'm used to like for the last 10 years of my life I've seen the same pretty much the same people or the same group of women for every single day And now, mm -hmm. you know, I don't see that hardly at all. So um, it's definitely a change. And 
everyone goes through it though. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that I have also is you, when you win a gold Olympic medal, you literally reach the top. You can't really go higher in terms of success in a very specific discipline. Can that be also mm-hmm. either for you or exactly the reason why, you know, you felt, you feel like you reached the top, you worked for 10 years so hard to get there. And now you're like, I'm here. So what now? Could that be also a spark in, oh, well, I don't have that motivation anymore. And kind of level of adrenaline and excitement goes down because you've reached the top and you don't really know what's next. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it. There's the, yeah, I've reached the top and I don't have the desire to try to do that again or like the spark for it. Or there's like, you know, the, I want to defend it. Like I want to, I want to be there. I want to do it again so that I can defend my medal. So I think there's definitely two ways to look at it. Um, and to be honest, I go both ways all the time. <laughs> um, and I think that's part of why, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I love training. I love being in that environment, but um, I think you just, you gotta make decisions in your life. And I'm kind of at that phase right now where I need to figure out what I want to do. So that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, so what's uh, what are you doing when you're not mowing? You have you said your family, your uh, husband, uh, but any what's oh, your day to day job now? And I, I think you have a bachelor in psychology. If I'm not mistaken, or if I read correctly, at least. Uh, so yeah, what uh, what is uh, Lisa doing when she's not rowing? Uh, so I'd like to say that I'm not doing anything to do with rowing, but I am. So I started. I kind of went back to the club that I started that, and I've helped rebuild the program so i've been coaching a lot um i currently do a master's in counseling right now um i work for bc housing as a tenant worker tenant support worker um and yeah i'm just trying to get experience in different areas um and just kind of figure out if this is what i want to do and um, at the same time me and my husband are exploring with the idea of trying to start a family so we're doing that as well And then we'll just, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the future holds. But at this point, I'm, um, like I said, I'm just unknown as to what my next moves are. But I'm still very much right. involved in the world. And I, yeah, I've really enjoyed being kind of on the other end of it a little bit. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of trying to provide opportunity for kids that I was provided that there wasn't any resources for that when I came back. And so I just felt it was important to provide an opportunity for them like I was given. Okay, so yeah, that's something that I've uh, uh, talked to uh, with several other athletes, talked about, sorry, with several other athletes when they were saying that once you're not giving your 100% at trying to be the best, you have that natural feeling or need to kind of give back to, you know, again, a training center, a club, or people that helped you get here is kind of the next step on on staying in touch with the sport itself without necessarily you know being at for 100 in terms of performance but more on the giving back uh giving back side right you mm-hmm. mean um definitely so and um so I, i guess you uh you don't know yet but is there any chance we uh we see you next year in paris yeah i don't know we'll see Uh, that's the pen- pending question okay great. Yeah. um i have definitely uh, a pending a few, question uh, for sure i have 
I've spent a couple of days with the team training here and there, but um, I haven't fully committed myself yet. So we'll see. And I guess if you decide that you might want to go, you also have to be selected or go through a selection or a very specific selection process, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would have to go through the same process as everybody else that's been training. So it would be pretty difficult to do it. Um, but I also think like there's nothing stopping me from trying. So we'll see. Great. Um, a few, I would say, scripted questions uh, that I have usually. Uh, if you had the opportunity to talk for like five minutes to uh, the 10 year old uh, Lisa, what would you tell her if you have a, a couple of advice you could give? Um, I think 10 year old Lisa was very much involved in skating, which is fine. Uh, but things I might tell myself, you know, would be just like enjoy sport for what it is. Uh, I think you just, you never know where are you going to be like you never know what's going to happen i kind of fell upon rowing it didn't just like you know it just kind of came out of came out of nowhere for me and then look where it led me so i think yeah i would just say keep doing what you're doing enjoy life and have fun with sport because there's no limits to like where it can take you so yeah great awesome um if i were uh to, if you were sorry to uh Pass the baton to a next uh, athlete that you know, um, man, woman, uh, rowing or not rowing, and you think has an interesting story like yours to tell, who would that person be? Sorry, what was the beginning of the question? Uh, if you were to uh, to um, uh, connect you with uh, a person that would be interested in, uh, in, in being hosted on the podcast and that you think has an interesting story to tell, uh, whether it's rowing or not rowing, uh, man or woman. Mm -hmm. Who would that person be? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have lots of teammates. I feel like there's so many athletes that you could talk to that were in the environment currently, um, whether they're Olympians or just national team athletes. I think, I think the better pool of athletes are the athletes that actually haven't made it to the Olympics. I think learning a lot about what they're doing is really cool mm -hmm. uh, because they're the ones that are really in that environment trying to figure out how to get to that point. Um, whereas, I mean, I, yeah, like, I mean, I've gone to the Olympics twice, um, but I'm very much a veteran in the sport. I, you know, like I know the ins and outs, whereas, you know, those people are always growing every day, learning so much all the time. And so I think it's of interest to see what they're, what they're doing and how they're planning to achieve their goal of getting to the Olympics. I think it would be really interesting. Great. So yeah, if you have a, after the recording, a person that comes to mind, feel free to uh, let me know. I'll be uh, super happy to uh, have them here or him or her. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can definitely give you some, uh, some, some people that you should try to connect with. Perfect. Um, what would be considered success for you in the next two years? And it's a broad question. It's not necessarily about growing. It's what would you say is success at the end of this day, 2024? In two years. Um, I think if I, obviously, if I go back to training, going to Paris would obviously be, um, one of those, um, 
But I think for me right now, if I was just because what I'm currently doing in my life, I think it would be um, I'm just like in the process of completing school. So I just think like getting school done and over with would be um, a big goal of mine. Um, and yeah, just trying to, I guess, figure out what's next. Okay, perfect. Um, finally, so are you active on social media? You said that you weren't necessarily, but if people were to uh, follow you, would it, where would that be? Yeah, I have Instagram. So on my handle, lovelisa28. Okay, perfect. So that will be, I guess, in the note if uh, people want to uh, uh, see what your next move is. Um, sure. Final question. So I'm a big fan of sports, which I explained at the beginning, and I'm building uh, at my house a wall of fame with whatever gears or uh, small stuff from athletes. Uh, is there anything that you have in your drawer that you're about to uh, throw away that you could you know, put the signature on and, uh, and send me? Ooh. Interesting. I uh, I probably have uh, love a boat. <laughs> no, I probably have something. I honestly, after the Olympics, I just kind of like put everything away, and I haven't really like touched much of it. Uh, but I'm probably I could probably find something for sure. Perfect. So yeah, if you have anything before you uh, you put it in the garbage, uh, think of it. <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll be look, build up sorry my my wall of fame. My random um, Tokyo items that I brought home. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's funny how what, what people have sometimes. Uh, socks, gloves, whatever. <laughs> um, no, it's just, just yeah. a joke. Whatever, whatever you might find. Uh, cool. So thank you uh, so much, Lisa. I think that was very uh, insightful. And it's, uh, I think it's the first time I have a discussion with someone, you know, kind of in the middle of uh, deciding what to do next. So I think it's very interesting to... Uh, You know, kind of understand your uh, thinking process and uh, and I'm excited I'm sure everybody will be excited to see uh, what's next once you either officially mm -hmm. or unofficially uh, whether we see you next year or not for sure sounds great awesome thank you so much Lisa for your time have a wonderful evening and uh, we'll, uh, we'll chat soon sounds good If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So, if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life! <laughs>